0: Arise, O oh God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, everyone, on the east coast of the United States, the central region, and the west coast. Uh, will be afternoon soon and around the world, whatever time uh, it is around the world. This is uh, Kennard. I am your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Uh, today's program is going to be about. The Messiah, the Christ, uh, Christ means Messiah in Greek, are Pesach or Passover Lamb. And this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Before, though, I focus on today's topic, I want to discuss um, some developments or some things that um, are going to happen next week um, on the 27th of March. The Supreme Court is going to hear, I think, two cases that will influence greatly whether or not they will change the Defense of Marriage Act, you know, the act that states that, uh, rightfully so, based on Matthew chapter 19, let's turn there, that marriage is between a man and a woman, and this is really the passage to to go to for those who uh, think that Yeshua taught that gay is okay. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 1, in the King James Version, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea, which is the West Bank today, beyond Jordan. And verse 2, And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away or divorce his wife for every cause? And then in verse 4, Matthew chapter 19, and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? So he's taking him back to Genesis. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 5, and he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. It's not a father and a father and a mother and a mother. And shall cleave to his wife. So no doubt he's talking about the marriage relationship. And they twain shall be one flesh, or they will be one flesh. So the marriage relationship is between a man and a woman. Two males and two females aren't one flesh, according to the Messiah's own words. Verse 6, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. Again, he states the fact that a legitimate marriage in the eyes of God, and logically, <laughs> is between two fem- uh, two. No, what am I saying here? <laughs> between a man and a woman, okay, is not between two males or two females, all right? This is according to people who call themselves Christians, and, and yet they don't want to go by what the Messiah states, the Christ states here. Again, let me underscore what he said here. And he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and a mother, not a father and a father and a mother and a mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Verse 6, wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. I don't care what the president states. I don't care what anyone is teaching. According to Scripture, they're wrong. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And that's a prophecy, because that's what man is trying to do today, this week, March 27th. We need to pray for this nation, folks, and we need to pray uh, that this nation repents because if we don't, we're going to have horrendous things happen to us according to the prophecies of the Bible. And Jeremiah, this is one of my favorite scriptures, Jeremiah chapter 18, there is hope for any nation, not just Israel, but any nation. John 18 verse 7, Sorry, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it. Verse 8. If that nation against whom I pronounce turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Okay? So this is for President Obama or any other ruler of a nation, if you turn and do teshuva, which that's what repent means in Hebrew, teshuva, if you repent of thinking that it's okay for two couples to get of the same sex to get married, then there won't be any devastation that will occur uh, based on the Torah. And what is the devastation that will occur? Because... Rulers of nations and 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 the other leaders underneath them allow and tolerate something that is considered a grave sin according to the Torah. Well, let's find out, ladies and gentlemen. Let's look at Leviticus. This is all in your Bibles. Leviticus chapter eighteen. Leviticus chapter eighteen. Starting in verse twenty-two, people can make their own opinions. But I just read to you what Yeshua stated, Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. Some people say Yahshua. All right? And he stated that marriage is between a male and a female. Not a male and a male and a female and a female. So Leviticus 18, verse 22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. That's what your Bible states, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, And then he talks about bestiality. So in verse 24 of Leviticus chapter 18, after he stated, uh, or closer after he stated, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind is an abomination. And then in verse 24 of Leviticus chapter 18, defile not yourselves in any of these things. What does the word defile mean in the original uh, Hebrew? Well, it means to contaminate yourself, to be unclean. That's what your Bible says, ladies and gentlemen. This is if you if people are listening to me again have a problem with this, you better argue with him. I didn't make the laws. I didn't make the laws. He did. Leviticus eighteen verse twenty four. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. So he's stating that when people have sex with their sex, they're defiling themselves. That's what they're doing. That's what your God tells you that you are doing. Okay? So uh you're you're making yourself unclean. For in all these the nations are defiled or unclean, which I cast out before you. So any nation that allows homosexuality, what in effect it is doing to itself is making the communities and the people eventually unclean. Uh, It says, In all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. And And also the land becomes unclean. When homosexuality is allowed. Therefore I do visit the iniquity. There see see this is what I'm talking about here. I'm just, I'm reading you reading the words of God. All a Torah teacher or minister does, is supposed to do anyway, is read the words of God. And the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity there. Our our land is defiled because we are allowing this homosexuality. I'm seeing commercials of promoting Gay marriage is an abomination. And we think that the Lord is not going to punish his nation. He's going to punish any nation that, that uh, allows this filth. And the land is defiled. Therefore, I do visit the iniquity. He's going to visit the sin, ladies and gentlemen. This is not me talking. This is the eternal God. And you need to listen. And the land is defiled. Therefore, I do visit the iniquity Thereupon, it. It's going to happen. If we don't repent, the leaders in particular repenting of this foolishness and the land itself vomit out the inhabitants, that's what's going to occur. And he says, ye shall therefore keep my statues and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, which homosexuality is one of them any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourn among you. Verse 27, for all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you. They were doing homosexuality back then. But there's a prophecy in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 9, it says, whatever was done in the past is, will be done again, and, it, and it's being done. For all these abominations have the men in the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. That the land spool not you out also, when you defile it, as it spooled out the nations that were before you. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the lives that commit them shall be cut off from among their people, the souls. Verse 30, therefore you shall keep my ordinance that you commit not any of these abominable customs which were committed before you and that you don't defile or make yourselves unclean. I am the Lord, your God. This is not Canard telling you this. This is the eternal father through the word of God telling you this, ladies and gentlemen. So if you have a problem with this, you better argue with him. All I'm doing is telling you what it says. And any nation that embraces homosexuality, curses will come. He's going to visit that iniquity, just like he visited the iniquity of Sodom and Gomorrah. When he saw with his own eyes that the men of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to have sex with the angels who were appearing as males. So I'm warning you, or should I say, God is warning you through these scriptures. All I'm doing is reading these scriptures. But if we continue with this utter foolishness of trying to provoke, uh, promote, not provoke but promote homosexuality, nothing but bad news is going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing but bad news is going to happen. And as a servant of God, I have to warn. I have to do the best that I can. I'm just one little voice, but I have to do the best I can to warn people of what's coming, folks. He's not going to, Yah or God is not going to tolerate this for too much longer. Because it destroys the communities, destroys the land, destroys the environment. And homosexuality is, where they, they realizing that they're unclean. When something's unclean, what happens? It spreads, right? And it causes the land to be unclean. And influences other people to be eventually unclean as well. So we need to be praying for our president. We need to be praying for this nation. We need to be praying for our leaders to start to use the common sense that he's given each and every one of us. And to realize that, not just biblically, but... Logically and biologically, homosexuality does not make any sense whatsoever. It's an abomination. Okay. Let's check out world news here. Uh, World Watch Daily Koenig International News. Weather plays havoc with final hours of Obama visit. Very late to Bethlehem, official farewell ceremony. Next, I know some... People were thinking that the tribulation was going to begin ridiculously um, um, March 22nd based on speculation and so forth. And I hope that, I, I don't know, it seems like every time somebody comes up with something. And and uh, I hope that people have learned their lesson about this finally. I, I don't think so, though, because it seems always some other group comes up with something. And this has been going on for For ages, people trying to predict when the Great Tribulation will begin. And that's why he tells us to watch, because we're not going to know it all. Watch for certain events. And he outlines those events in Matthew chapter 24. Anyway, Obama was in Jerusalem March 20th to 22nd. People were trying to make a big deal about that. Some people were thinking that he was going to go to the Temple Mount, or to the Western Wall. He didn't do any of that. So all that's inaccurate again. It's amazing too when people make these predictions. They're very quiet when it doesn't happen, (laughs) or they come up with something else, you know. Uh, So it's just it's just ridiculous, and I just hope that um, I I just pray anyway that people stop this stuff because it's insanity. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing using the same methods over and over again, expecting the same results. And in, in terms of this, people have been trying to predict the Second Coming, and the Great Tribulation, for years, and every single last one of them have been wrong. So let's it, 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 this, this stop the insanity. Let's really stop it. And do what the Messiah told us to do, which is watch for these events, not try to predict them. Anyway, headline here on Watch.org, Obama's doing Israel-Turkey agree to normalize relations after Netanyahu apologizes and offers to compensate families. So that's what he's going to do here. Um, Lieberman blasts Netanyahu over apology to Turkey. That's uh, who's Lieberman. That's uh, someone in the IDF. In response, Lieberman said in a statement, anyone who saw the photos taken on Mav Mamar understands beyond any doubt that the Israeli Defense Force soldiers acted in self-defense against the activists of the IHH organization, which is recognized as a terrorist organization in Europe. So they're just... Um, Having all kind of issues and so forth and in the seminal moment, Obama meets uh reminisces and jokes with yet Rabin's family or Yichak Rabin's family, so all this was a bunch of photo ops opportunities and, and so forth it it was not he didn't start any peace process or anything all it was was a bunch of talk and so forth and that's that's really all it was, although iran's leader and Iran's leader has been doing this for years Iran's leader threatens to level Tel Aviv and if Israel attacks, criticizes U.S. nuclear talks. So same old stuff. Then North Korea military threatens U.S. bases. They've been talking for years and years. And AccuWeather, and, uh, here we go again with the weather. And I implore anyone that uh, is listening to me for the first time or have been listening to me for a while, if you haven't read the article that I have on my website about God and hurricanes, please read it because it explains that when... Leaders of countries uh, make horrendous mistakes or horrendous judgments like Obama's trying to push a two-state solution. And and God is totally against that in the scriptures. uh, He stated in Judges, let's take a look here. This is a prophecy, Judges chapter 2, verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, Bochum and said, I have made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swore unto your fathers. And I said, I would never break my covenant or agreement with you. In verse 2 of Judges, And you shall make no league, no confederacy or covenant. And that, unless, that's what we're trying to do right now in the Middle East, right? We're trying to broker a peace treaty, right, or agreement, with the inhabitants of this land. And this, this applied back then as it applies today. You shall throw down their altars. We haven't done that, have we? No, no, the Jewish people haven't done that. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Verse 3. Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be thorns in your sides. And their God shall be a snare unto you. And that is so prophetic. That's a perfect description of the Palestinians today in the Middle East, folks. And then Hamas. And that's the reason why they will continue to be a thorn until the Jewish people start to follow this commandment, which they have not done since 1967, when God mercifully and gracefully allowed them to get the temple mount. And they should have built the temple at that time, but it's going to happen soon. I can't predict when, but the Bible prophecies reveal that the third temple will be built. That's the only way the tribulation will begin, according to what Yeshua stated, stated in Matthew 24, verse 15 despite what people teaching are teaching currently. Anyway, read that article, God and Hurricanes. It says, AccuWeather, another major storm will cross the United States from coast to coast. Here we go again, and this certainly has everything to do with Obama trying to push a two-state agreement. All right, and, and, and it's just um, that's something that's not biblical. He just read to you, and there's other places, other scriptures I can read, that God is not in favor of any covenant. Uh, with any foreign or or, uh, people, not of the land, with his land, okay? And and he he does not want that to happen. And the Jews continue to push this. They're going to only punish themselves, and the people will continue to be a thorn at their sides, as he states. Okay, so let me see if there's any... Local or national United States news that we need to be concerned with here. Let me look at the Economic Collapse website here. Let's see, um, you can go with me if you want. It says the blog dot com. Well, uh, the headline here on this website it says mass panic in Cyprus. The banks are collapsing and ATMs are running out of money. So that's something that will happen here. Unless we change morally uh, But uh says right here European officials are openly admitting That the two largest banks in Cyprus are insolvent Meaning they cannot support themselves And it is now being reported that Cyprus Popular Bank only has enough liquidity, liquidity rather, To cover the next few hours Of course all banks in Cyprus Are officially closed until Tuesday at the earliest But there have been long lines At ATMs all over Cyprus As people scramble to get whatever money they can Out of the banks Unfortunately, some ATMs appear to be malfunctioning and others appear to have already run out of cash. And this is what I suggest you guys do, and don't wait for this to happen here in this country. Try to get a safety deposit box or something, a miniature one, and put store of money in that and buy some silver and gold if you can, because the way our economy is, eventually it appears, unless we do some repenting, unless we start to pay on our national debt in a serious way instead of spending or printing money out of thin air through the treasury department. Uh we're going to end up being like this too. Um, it says right here, you can see some photos of huge lines at one ATM in Cyprus right here. Some businesses are now even refusing to take credit card payments. This is creating an atmosphere of panic on the streets of Cyprus. Meanwhile, the EU is holding a gun at the head of the Cyprus financial system. Either Cyprus meets EU as the um European Union's demands by Monday or Liquidity for the banks will be totally cut off, and cycles will be forced out of the euro. So, so this, this is a very important thing here because the Bible prophesies that uh, nations will have great economic problems, and we're the starter of the genesis of that is happening as I'm speaking, and we have to prepare for what's what's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and we just can't wait for it to happen. Liquidity is simply the ability to buy or sell an asset quickly and in large volume without substantially affecting the asset's price. So that's what liquidity is, courtesy of the Dictionary of Finance and Investment Terms by Barron's Financial Guides. But the thing is, we have to take this serious, ladies and gentlemen, Is uh, what's going on. It says, it is being reported that European officials believe that the economy is going to tank in Cyprus no matter what and that it would be okay to let the financial system in Cyprus crash and burn if politicians in Cyprus are not willing to do what they have been ordered to do. Apparently, European officials are very confident that the situation in Cyprus can be contained and that it will not spread to other European nations, See, and that's what could happen. Um it says, why is the world economy doomed? The global financial pyramid scheme by the numbers. And this is a good article, and I'll go ahead and read a little bit of this. It says... Why is the global economy in so much trouble? How can so many people be so absolutely certain that the world financial system is going to crash? Well, the truth is that when you look at, when you take a good look at the cold, hard numbers, it is not difficult to see why the global financial pyramid scheme is destined to fall. In the United States today, there is approximately $56 trillion of total debt in our financial system. And you don't ever hear about that, do you? No politician tells you that. But there is only about $9 trillion in our bank accounts. So you could take every single penny out of the banks, multiply it by six, and you still would not have enough money to pay off all of our debts. Overall, there is about $190 trillion of total debt on the planet. Let me underscore and repeat that. Overall, there is about $190 trillion of total debt on the planet. But global GDP, gross domestic product, the total sum of, of uh, production of products and services for a nation, is only about $70 trillion. And the total value of all the derivatives around the globe is somewhere between $600 trillion to $1,500 trillion. So we have a gigantic problem on our hands. The global financial system is a very shaky house of cards that has been constructed on a foundation of debt, leverage, and incredibly risky derivatives. We are living in the greatest financial bubble in the world's history. And it isn't going to take much to topple the entire thing. And when it falls, it is going to be the largest financial disaster in the history of the planet. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to get prepared. A derivative is short for derivative instrument. It's a contract whose value is based on the performance of an underlying financial asset, index, or other investment. So that's what a derivative is, ladies and gentlemen. So it um, says derivatives here are available based on the performance of assets, interest rates, currency exchange rates, and various domestic and foreign indexes. says derivatives afford leverage and when used properly by knowledgeable investors, which hasn't been used properly, <laughs> can enhance returns and be useful in, in hedging portfolios. So anyway, that's what a derivative is. I'm trying to break this down so it'll be clear to you. And this is from, uh, matter of fact, I suggest you get this dictionary. It's uh, Barron's Financial Guides, Dictionary of Finance and Investment Terms. So, ladies and gentlemen, I I just read you you some secular information, and it only verifies the following prophecy in Revelation chapter 6. Again, Revelation chapter 6. Uh, starting in verse 5, the third seal. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand, and symbolizing economics. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, certainly economics, socioeconomics, macroeconomics, microeconomics. And three measures of barley for a penny, and for thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And that's what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. We're having worldwide economic problems. On top of that, in Matthew chapter 24, uh, this is the prophecy of the end times of what's going to occur in the 21st century. And he he said right here in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 24, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's what we're hearing right now. Uh, the Koreans are always threatening, seem to be always threatening the United States, and it's a bunch of fluff and talk, Uh, see that you not be troubled. And that's that's a lot of people, they get troubled by all these things, and they start predicting, uh, for example, the recent uh, ridiculous prediction that the um, Great Tribulation would begin um, yesterday. So we've got to make sure that all these rumors of wars and wars and, and certain events that happen in the world don't trouble us. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And in verse seven he says, For nations shall rise it shall be families in the original Greek, or tribes shall rise against families, or tribes and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and that's um, socioeconomic, economic chaos, and pestilence and earthquakes in various places around the world. So that's what's happening. He said, These are the beginning of sorrow. So we're in the beginning of sorrow stage. All right. And that's what we have to prepare for right now, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Enough of world news. Let's get to the topic of this Bible study, uh, the Messiah, who is our Passover lamb. I was raised a Catholic, ladies and gentlemen, and when I think about my conception of God, or my idea of God back then, I was just taught that Jesus Christ was God, and he uh, died on the cross for our sins, and um whatever we sin we just ask for him to forgive us and that's that. And really I, I didn't I didn't get any other teaching other than that, uh the Catholic Church doesn't really do a very good job of teaching you the Bible. Uh everything is um influenced by the Pope. Uh they have a catechism which is their oral law of how they interpret the scriptures basically. Um, I remember going to a Catholic service, and, you know, I was an altar boy at one time, too, and um, it was very repetitive, vain repetitions over and over and over and over again, same old stuff. It's just a boring, boring experience, and it's just, it's just sad. It's just really sad. It's just not the way uh, true worship of Yah in an assembly should be. But anyway, the reason why I'm mentioning this is that, many people in this country and around the world, they're just taught that Jesus is Yah, which is true. He's the Word of God. And He died on the cross as a human being to deliver mankind from sin. And that's really, that's all that's taught, basically. And so whenever you sin, you just ask for forgiveness, and you can keep on sinning. You're already saved because he took away the sin in the world, so you're already saved, so you don't have to worry about anything, and you don't have to do anything. Just live your life the best way you can and realize that you're going to go to heaven and everything is okay because the Messiah, is he's constantly taking away our sins. And that is an incorrect teaching, ladies and gentlemen, and the purpose of, of this Bible study today is to really uh Show you through the scriptures that that's an incorrect thinking about the Messiah and and his death. He didn't die to encourage us to continue to sin, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Quite the opposite. So let, let's let's go back to Genesis here. Okay, I, I'm not going to read um, about well, you know that Adam and Eve sinned, You know about all that, but I want to read a scripture that is really the first messianic scripture or prophecy that the Messiah would have to come. Uh, Genesis 3, verse 15, it states, And I will put enmity or hostility between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And that means plant or posterity. And this is interesting because a woman does not have a seed, does she? A woman does not have a seed. She has an ovum. The seed comes from the male. But see, this is why you have to focus and look at the scriptures very carefully. Because right in this one scripture is a prophecy about the Messiah being born of a virgin. Being born without the male's seed or sperm. It says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and you shall bruise his heel. So right here is a prophecy about the Messiah. Even in the Jewish Publication Society version, it has her seed. There we go. And they have all these arguments about whether or not the particular word means virgin or not, and so forth. And really, it's, it's all here in Genesis 3, verse 15. Her seed. It's the end of conversation. So anyway, that's a good verse to analyze and study. Okay? But I want to read another verse that you need to understand here. After the sin was committed, he stated uh, in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 3, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now that not he put forth his hand, let me read this, let me see if I can read this in an easier way version for you to understand. Here we go. Genesis 3 verse 22, the Lord said, "These people now know the difference between right and wrong just as we do. But they must not be allowed to eat fruit from the tree that lets them live forever." Verse 23. So obviously they did not have immortality uh once they ate of the tree because remember he stated that if you eat of that tree, you will die. And some people say, well, that means that uh, well they didn't die right away. No, he's saying that the process of death has begun because cause people don't die right away. You know, when we're born, do we die right away? No, but we're going to die, and that's what he's talking about. Genesis 3, verse 22, the Lord said, These people now know the difference between right and wrong, just as we do, but they must not be allowed to eat fruit from the tree that lets them live forever. And so what did he do? He blocked that tree so they wouldn't eat of that fruit so they can live Forever in sin Verse 23 So the Lord God Sent them out of the Garden of Eden Where they would have To work the ground From which the man Had been made So that tree of life Symbolizes Ladies and gentlemen Immortality In verse 24 The Lord Then God I'm sorry Genesis 3 verse 24 Then God put Winged creatures At the entrance of the garden And a flaming flashing sword To guard the way To the life giving tree Which is a pretty good Translation there Okay, so right there, your scriptures indicate that God blocked the tree of life, which obviously symbolizes immortality, as I'm going to prove to you today. And so we have a problem here. That's revealed in uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. It talks about Adam here. talks about the fact that Adam in Romans 5 verse 12, Adam's sin and that sin brought death into the world. So, prior to that sin, death, not only to humankind, but also animal kind and insect kind, wasn't in the world. But with Adam's sin, that brought death and decay into the world. Now, everyone has sin and so everyone must die. Okay? So, that's what happened, ladies and gentlemen, when when uh, sin occurred that's what brought decay and death into the universe and in particular into the world and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 1 Corinthians chapter 15 which that this particular chapter really is a summary of the entire plan of God uh 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verse 20, it says, For Christ has been raised to life, and he makes us certain that others also will be raised to life. Verse 21, Just as we will die because of Adam, or Adam we will be raised to life because of Christ. Verse 22, Adam brought death to all of us, but Christ will bring life to all of us. Because there, there's a dichotomy here, two opposites here. Adam is death. The last Adam, or Christ, is life. Okay, so you have to... To look at it that way to understand the plan of God, ladies and gentlemen, is really that simple. Uh, you, you look at Adam, he represents death. Uh, you look at the last Adam, and that's what uh, the scriptures indicate that the, the Messiah is here. He is the, the last Adam. So he's a type of Adam, the way mankind should be. Uh, he is our true father of mankind. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was a quickening spirit. Okay? So Adam was not, the first Adam was not going to die. If he didn't sin, he wouldn't have died, according to the scriptures. But what happened? He sinned, and so God said, hey, he knows good and evil now, and we, we don't when he when he sins, we, we we don't want him to live forever in that state. So I've got to block off the tree of life because if he would have eaten of the tree of life, which symbolizes immortality, he would have lived forever, sinning. And 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 Yah is a merciful God. He doesn't want any human being to live forever sinning. Okay, so um, let's understand that. Let's understand that important point there. Okay, so let's get back to this. So you understand that the prophecy of the Messiah is, is right there in Genesis 3, verse 15. And so we know that this Messiah was prophesied to come on the scene. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, Johannan or John the Baptist, stated this about the Messiah and what he had to do. The next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And so that's one of the jobs of the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, to take away the sin of the world in John 1, verse 29. And I'm going to read John Chapter 3, verse 14 to uh, 21, and it states, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Why? Because what happened? Eternal life was closed off because of sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He paid the death penalty for mankind, so mankind can have an opportunity for eternal life or immortality. He opened the door for immortality again for mankind. Adam closed the door. The last Adam opened the door. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world. That light in John chapter 1 is revealed to be the Messiah. And men love darkness rather than the Messiah or the light because their deeds were evil. So this whole process, ladies and gentlemen, has something to do with deeds. For everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light. Neither comes to the light that not his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth is wrought in God. Okay? So, the truth, what is truth? Psalm 119, verse 142. The truth is the instructions, or in the King James Version it translates it, law of God. So we have to do truth. We have to do truth. Uh, it's not something that we talk. It's something that we do, ladies and gentlemen. So his death has something to do with deeds. And that is certainly not being taught by hardly any church, uh, that one of the purposes also of the Messiah dying is also to motivate us and give us the ability to do righteous works. And he said, we're not saved by works. So of course you're not saved by works. But the, the entire chapter of James, I mean James chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 14, states that trust, belief, and faith must have works. So we we show God that we believe Him by what we do, not what we say. All right, so there's another scripture, a compliment, and this is interesting. You have 1 John 3, verse 16. Let's turn there. 1 John 3, verse 16, it states this. It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay out our lives for the brethren. Okay? Uh, so that's what it's all about. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother have need and shut up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? And then verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This is similar to First John 3, uh, starting in verse 15 all the way down to verse 21. So again, his death certainly has something to do with motivating us to do works, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, In First Peter 1, verse 18 and 19, For as much as we know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Again, the focus on the Passover lamb. And that's what the Passover Lamb represents, ladies and gentlemen, ultimately the Messiah and his sacrifice. First uh, Corinthians chapter five, beginning in verse twenty one. Verse twelve. Let's see. Actually I have the wrong scripture on this one. On this one. Okay, Romans five, verse six to ten. Sorry about that. Romans five. Verse six to ten it says, "For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. But so He died for the ungodly, ladies and gentlemen. Verse seven. That's an interesting scripture, by the way. For scarcely for a, ri- for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man someone even dare to die. But God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us." Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved. We we shall be saved. That's future from the wrath through him. For I, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Reconciled simply means to to uh, to to compound a difference, to reconcile uh, by the death of his son. So we were reconciled by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Okay. And he, again, he gave up his life for mankind. And so let's look at First uh, Corinthians here, because I'm running out of time here. First Corinthians, 15 minutes left here. First Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 6. It says, Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little... Leaven, just a little leaven, leavens a whole lump. Verse 7, purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. So we're supposed to get rid of leaven. Now what does leaven represent? For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Okay. And verse 8, therefore let us keep the feast. The feast of what? the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is initiated by the Passover. This is revealed in Exodus chapter 12, Leviticus chapter 23. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven or old sin, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, that's certainly sin, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So you get a simple definition here uh, when you eat the unleavened bread. It represents uh the sincerity and truth of living a righteous life—that's what it represents. It also represents the—the the, uh, it's, it's called the bread of affliction, and it represents the suffering of the Messiah. And now, of course, it also represents the suffering of of the of our ancestors in Egypt. Of course, leaven represents the antithesis of that, the opposite of that, which is sin. And we are commanded to get it out of our presence. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven. And so, in Exodus chapter 12, it commands us to get rid of all leavening products out of your home to celebrate the, the festival. So, that's why we do that. But during the Passover Seder, or meal, uh, we, when we drink the wine, it, it represents his blood. he gave his new meaning to what those symbols represent, or better understanding of what those symbols represent. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26 here. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, this is my body. All right? And then verse 27, And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink, you all of it. For this is the blood of the New Testament, and that word new should be renewed testament or covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And that word remission is the pardoning or forgiveness or deliverance of sins. And we know what sin causes death. All right? So that's what the Passover, the, the, the wine represents his blood. And the unleavened bread represents his suffering of affliction and also represents us through our deeds, through obeying him and and, and the Torah, uh, living a a righteous life. And of course the leaven represents wickedness and also the leaven can represent uh, false doctrine or teachings as well. So we, we have to be very careful about uh right here, Matthew sixteen, verse six, Jesus said unto him, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, and he said uh in verse eleven, How is it that you do not understand that I spoke not unto you concerning bread that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? In verse twelve, then understood they that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Not to say that they were all wrong, but he was saying to be careful. It's like we should be careful of anybody's te- teachings. Uh, we have to be careful of, of the false doctrines that the Jews, they don't teach all false doctrines, but some of it is, like Yeshua is not the Messiah, that's one of them, and there's a few others, but there's not many, but there's a few that... Uh, just like in, in Mark chapter 7, their tradition, some of their tradition, makes void the Torah or the law of God. And we need to stay away from that. That's leavening. So I'm trying to explain it as clearly as I can here. But I want to get to this really important scripture here. In Hebrews 9, verse 11 to 14, I have ten minutes left here. It says, But Messiah, having become a high priest of becoming good matters, this is in the scriptures version for clarity's sake, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, entered into the most set-apart place once and for all, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption, that's salvation, immortality. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the defiled sets apart for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of the Messiah, who through the everlasting spirit, Offered himself unblemished to Elohim, or God. Cleanse your mind or conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So he wants us to serve him. And how do you serve Yah? By obeying him. So his death also was a catalyst for us to obey him. And many people don't understand that. The Messiah died on the cross to give humanity the opportunity to live forever. He also died on the cross to give humanity the ability through the Holy Spirit to keep the commandments. Ultimately, we serve Yah by keeping His commandments. What I'd like to call alive works, not dead works. And then Revelation 12, verse 14, Blessed are they that do His commandments. And in the King James Version, certainly the correct translation, that they may have right to, this is the right that we need to be fighting for, not the right for gay marriage or the right for for other sins, uh, but we, we need to fight for the right to the tree of life, which is immortality. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city, the city of the New Jerusalem, in Revelation 12, verse 14. Now, Second Timothy 1, verse 10 is a marvelous scripture, because it, it summarizes the work of the Messiah. But it's now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay? Through his death, immortality has been the opportunity for immortality for all of mankind is open again. 2 Timothy 1, verse 10. And then 1 Timothy 6, verse 14 to 16. To obey your commission spotlessly and irreproachably until our Lord Yeshua the Messiah appears. His appearing will be brought about in his own time by the blessed and sole sovereign, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal. So, you know, I was taught as a Catholic, that's why I began this Bible study, as a, uh, saying I was a Catholic, because Catholics are taught that we're already, already immortal, that we have immortal souls, and we don't, ladies and gentlemen. I just proved that to you through the Scriptures. And, and uh, it says right here, who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light that no human being has ever seen or can see, to him be honored in eternal power. In 1 John 3, verse 5 to 8, It says, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. That's the Messiah, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him, sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth, have not seen him, neither have known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteousness, even as he is righteous. Uh, He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. In Hebrews 2, verse 9, says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That's what he did. He tasted death for every man. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all lifetime subject to bondage. He saved us from the bondage of not being able to live. Uh, Hebrews 2, verse 9, 14 to 15. And John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of Torah, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whosoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. That's in John 16, verse 7, and verse 13. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 to 27 tells you what the Holy Spirit does for each and every human being that believes in the Messiah. And then when you believe in the Messiah, then you you change, and you do teshuva, and you become immersed in the water as symbolic of your commitment to him, and you receive the Holy Spirit. And then a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put into you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 to 27. And then here's a kicker. Here's a, an important scripture here for you to to realize. Uh, we are witnesses to these things, so is the Ruach HaKadish, the Holy Spirit. And... That scripture indicates in Acts 5, verse 37, that he gives the Ruach HaKadish to those who obey him. He doesn't give the Holy Spirit to those who don't want to obey him, ladies and gentlemen. And and you have to understand that. You have to say, we are witness to these things, that, and so is the Ruach HaKadish, whom God has given to those who obey him. So you have to obey him, ladies and gentlemen. And in 1 John, chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, my children, I am writing you these things so that you won't sin. So we're not supposed to sin, ladies and gentlemen, once we receive the Holy Spirit. But if anyone does sin, we have Yeshua the Messiah, the Zadok, or the righteous, who please our cause with the Father. Verse 2, also he is the covering for our sins, or the power for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world, the entire world, for those who are capable of repenting. You know, and in verse 3, the way we can be sure we know him is if we are obeying his commands or commandments. Verse 4, anyone who says, I know him, but isn't obeying his commandments or commands is a liar and a truth for the Torah. Because that's what the Torah is. Psalm 119, verse 142 is not in him. Verse 5, but if someone keeps doing what he says, then true truly love for God has been brought to his goal in him. This is how we are sure that we are united with him and this is a very powerful scripture, a person who claims to be continuing in union with him ought to conduct his life the way he did. And for those who say nay to that, then you, you're you a pretender, not a believer. And that's what your scriptures state. And to, to understand that faith must have works, ladies and gentlemen, read James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. It's all there for you to, to understand. And, you know, we need to take the sacrifice of Christ is not a celebration of his death, ladies and gentlemen. It's nothing to celebrate, people, somebody dying. However, it's the celebration of him being willing to sacrifice his life for mankind to open the door uh, for immortality for everyone, everyone that desires it. And we have to be careful. And I'm going to read this uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 to 29. Therefore, let us approach the holiest place with a sincere heart and the full assurance that comes from trusting, with our hearts sprinkled clean from a bad conscience. I just read to you that his death helps cleanse our minds of a bad conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's symbolic of uh, being immersed. Let us continue holding fast to the hope we acknowledge and without wavering for the one who made the promises trustworthy. And let us keep paying attention to one another in order to spur each other on to love and good deeds. It's about doing something, not mouth service or lip service, not neglecting our own congregational meetings, as some have made a practice of doing, but rather encouraging each other. And let us do this all the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord, approaching. For if we deliberately continue to sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth or the teachings of God, the Torah, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but only the terrifying prospect of judgment of raging fire that will consume the enemies. Someone who disregards the Torah of Moshe is put to death without mercy on the word of two or three witnesses. Think how much worse will be the punishment deserved by someone who has trampled under the foot of the Son of God, who has treated as something common the blood of the covenant which made him holy, and who has insulted the spirit, the giver of God's grace. So in John three verse thirty six to close, he that believeth on the Son have everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John three verse thirty six. So that's the way I'm going to end it. Let's let's realize that the Passover is symbolic of the Messiah's death, his sacrifice to open the door to immortality. The good news is that we have uh, access to immortality because of his death, and let's celebrate the Passover. Um, thinking of that that's what it's sim- uh, symbolic of his his pure blood giving us the opportunity taking the place of our blood being shed and rightfully so because of our sins um, and we have the opportunity to um, obtain eternal life but we have to show him that we believe him by what we do not what we say so ladies and gentlemen may Yah bless you for those who are celebrating the Passover and the Festivals of Unleavened Bread. Have a, a good one this year. Have a better one than you did last year. And uh y'all willing, I'll be available to speak to you next week. Shalom. Malachi Chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble.